the fact of the matter is is that there is a large number of people that are constantly inventing new ways uh, to, to, to misuse IT. I think my job in looking at that part will, will never end. The main challenge I, I face is uh, the growing importance of, of IT to uh, standard life moving forward. And uh, my biggest challenge is bringing that alive for all of my stakeholders uh, and getting them to understand uh, the art of the possibility, but also to understand the kind of pressures that are, are coming along, uh, such as the changing landscape of security, uh, and to understand uh, what our competitors may do. Uh, because I'm an expert within a life and pensions company uh, and therefore it's bridging that gap. So the benefits uh, that a CIO brings to the, the boardroom is, is one about helping the board understand the art of the possible. Um, because we as an industry uh, are facing some quite uh, drastic changes through uh, customers' expectations um, and a key enabler to that will, will be technology. Uh, we've been very successful to date through, through products, uh, and that is uh, something which I think boards have traditionally understood well. But the world will, will change, and people uh, choose who they uh, use as a, as a life and pensions company on, on the basis of customer experience. And the biggest enabler, I think, for customer experience going forward will be technology. Uh, so it's how you help uh, the board understand what is possible and also to understand what our competitors are doing. Uh, and it's difficult because the traditional uh, competitors are, are more or less at the same um, stage as we are. And the trick is to look outside for, for inspiration by looking at how Uber works, Airbnb and others, and then imagine the innovations and the way they think about their business and how it could apply to our world. So that's, that's what I see as my key role. So because IT is an ethereal thing, it's, it's something which is hard to imagine. It's, uh, it's easier to, to show examples of it and to use different ways of working that involves your stakeholders in it as it emerges. Uh, so I think uh, agile ways of working are, are now mandatory, uh, and that is about making sure that uh, your stakeholders are much closer to uh, the work as it, as it emerges. Um, I think the power of, of any kind of prototype, any, anything that brings alive something and makes it more obvious to the stakeholder is, is mandatory. And again, that's quite a contrast to, say, 20 or 30 years ago, where an IT project could go off, take the money, do the work, and then present the answer at the end of it. Uh, you know, that is perhaps a, a way of working which, which suited the kind of problems we had then, but this, in this day and age, because IT is, is more and more come out of the back and moved into the front, and therefore there's much, much, uh, much of the problem is about interpreting um, how that, that will work for our customers. You need to get everybody in the company involved. It can't be just a backroom back uh, uh, problem. So the, I think there's been some generations of, of digital. So the obvious one was, was using digital as, a, as a, a, an alternative channel for customers to come into your, your company, and that's pretty well understood. 
We're now moving to uh, another um, uh, use of, of digital, which is about um, engaging the customer. Um, so it's less about efficiencies and about straight through processing, which we still take for granted. And it's far more about how to use digital to, to make the whole process of a customer understanding us, buying our products, but then we'd like our customers to stay with us for 30, 40 years. How do you do that in a digital world? Um, you know, there are many, many uh, aspects of digital which will help us do that. So I, I think the uh, digital is partly about efficiency, but a lot of it is, is just about a completely different way of working with the customer. Well, our employees are our customers. So um, everybody who works at Standard Life um, has access to a Standard Life pension and many of the other products that we make. And they, they, like our customers outside, have a different expectation of us uh, and the way we will interact with them, uh, um, them digitally. So when they see us uh, uh, using digital to change the way we engage with our customers, um, they are part of providing that service, but they're also a customer at the same time. And you'll find that that generates a lot of excitement and, and enthusiasm because they know the world's changing and if they're seeing it change and, and they're able to try that out themselves as customers, that, that does generate a, a buzz about the place, no doubt about it. Existing employees expect to, to be able to develop their career and learn new skills and if the company is not progressing digitally then, then they're undoubtedly all worry about that. But there is a generation of employees yet to join Standard Life that have expectations of what the workplace will be like. Um, so they, they expect to be able to bring their own devices, they expect uh, to have access to social media, they expect uh, frictionless ways of working that's enabled by digital technology. And if they perceive that Standard Life doesn't have those, it's undoubtedly a barrier to them uh, arriving. And therefore, I think digital enablement is, is almost a, a mandatory way of, uh, of, of working for employees these days. Um, so it's good for us, but it's good for the employee. So getting digital talent to join an end-user organisation is always going to be tough. Um, they're uh, more likely to be attracted to work for a consultancy. Uh, they'll see it as being more prestigious. The way we address this is by, by using um, every possible way of advertising what it is that we're doing so that people can understand that Standard Life is progressive, it, it puts the customer at the heart of, of what it does, it wants to use digital technology to build quite innovative ways of working and if you don't advertise that and you don't share that it won't be immediately obvious uh, to somebody outside. So we're trying to compete with companies where it's probably more obvious that they're digitally advanced uh, and, and therefore we go to um, all sorts of conferences, forums where we talk about what is the work we're doing, what we're trying to achieve uh, and we promote it through social media. You could argue all of them but there are some which are probably more important so um, the CFO um, the head of finance is, is, is critical uh, because um, IT is expensive uh, and you, you need to find 
you know, clever ways of, of expressing the opportunity and the way you're going to handle the cost. And you can only do that with uh, a CFO that is supportive. Uh, the chief marketing officer um, is, is quite often hand in hand, works very closely with, uh, with the CIO. And then, of course, the, the CEO has to have the, the vision and the, uh, the desire to use IT to its fullest extent. So they tend to be the three that I work closely with, um, in addition to all the, the rest of the, the C-suite, but, it, but it's really those three. The new merged organization is, is undoubtedly going to be working in a world where uh, things change quicker than they've ever changed before. Uh, the, there is robo-funds, there is robo-advice uh, on the horizon, uh, there's machine learning, uh, there's completely different ways in which the business can interact with, uh, with technology. And as a result, uh, technology, I think, is going to be more and more important to the merged company going forward. Uh, than it ever was. I will never be uh, satisfied with the level of IT risk. The simple reason is because it's constantly, constantly changing. If you look at, at all the denial of service attacks, uh, the kind of malware that you see coming, uh, the fact of the matter is, is that there is a large number of people that are constantly inventing new ways uh, to, to, to misuse IT uh, and therefore um, I think my job in looking at that part will, will never end. You know, for all the time I'm in standard life I will be constantly worried about what is the next uh, challenge that, that's come, come along there and I think that's what our customers expect. Uh, they don't expect us to take a static view of the risks uh, to leaking data, to, to uh, denial of service. They expect us to keep ahead of the game uh, and therefore, I don't think I'll ever be satisfied with the IT risks, and, and I think that's what the board would expect me to, to do as well. Standard Life's got a, a very proud history of, of using uh, technology to drive innovation, and I, I see that continuing uh, for, for the foreseeable future. Um, my job is to help make sure that Standard Life consciously chooses how innovative it wants to be. Um, and, and I think that is tied into to the other questions, which is by making them understand the art of the possible, it's helping them land where, where they want to go on that continuum. So we have a multi-speed IT strategy and, and I'm very fortunate that I've been gifted a, uh, a pretty well structured architecture by my predecessors. So Standard Life's not grown inorganically, it's grown organically and therefore I'm not struggling with multiple legacy systems that, that need to be, uh, to be merged. Um, I'm also lucky in that, uh, again, before my time, uh, there was a service-oriented architecture installed and, and that allows uh, the front end to run at a different pace uh, to, to the back end. Uh, that doesn't mean that there aren't cost challenges and skills challenges with, uh, with, with the legacy systems. We, we have some that are written in assembler, which of course nobody's learning at university these days. And, and that's, that's things that I, I need to address over time. But I think I'm very fortunate in that the architecture allows us to, to, uh, to drive the front and the back at, at different speeds.
So GDPR is, uh, is a really interesting project uh, in that it uh, raises the importance of understanding what data you hold against uh, your customers. And the first part of GDPR has been about understanding how you interpret the regulations. Uh, the second part is then about making sure that our customer data uh, is organized in a fashion which supports the regulations. And then the third part is, is putting in the supporting services that come May next year allows customers to interact with us as, as they see fit. And uh, we're midway through the, the second part and we're starting the third part. Um, so the biggest focus, to be honest, was understanding exactly how to interpret the regulations. Um, once we did that, um, again, I'm lucky in that um, I don't have multiple customer databases. 97% of it was in one database and the other 3% will move across in time. Um, so I think we're now moving on to what what are the expectations of the customers? Will anybody turn up in May? What will they? You know, what numbers and, and how will how will they interact with us? That, that's where we're focusing on next. It's a state of mind. It's seeing digital not as as some um, add-on or some. Um, optional but seeing it as being the heart of how we drive customer engagement and Standard Life has gone through a change where it saw the product as being the most important thing and the customer was outsourced through IFAs uh, to recognizing that customer engagement is going to be the, the differentiator and, and that is a debate that we've had at the sea level um, and made sure that everybody understands that's what's going to differentiate us going forward. And digital is an enabler to that. So you can't have it in a separate department. You can't have it off to one side doing its own thing. It has to be seen as being everything to do with standard life uh, going forward. That's how we've chosen to make it work.